0: Hey, good morning. Good morning, DCF family. We are so glad that you are joining us this morning. Uh, we are having one of those bipolar mornings of weather, um, so uh, it's it's cold out today. Uh, but we are so glad that you are with us this morning, and what we love that when we come together, the Holy Spirit is so ready to meet with us. And so um, we are looking forward to everything that He has in store for us this morning of bringing healing to our hearts, of bringing um, vision for our future together, how he works in and among us and through us all together. So this morning, one of the things that we do know is how the Lord does love to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. We have an overseeing elder this morning. It's David Woodham and Callie. Um, If you... Feel something or sense something that maybe it's like I know the Lord talks to me, but maybe He's wanting to share this with the body. Um, we would love for you to come and share that with David and. Um, We would love to administrate that with what the Lord's doing because we know He's always speaking. He has been known from the beginning of time as God the communicator. He spoke. And just like any good father wants to speak to his children, he wants to speak to us and encourage us this morning. And so um, we're going to jump into our worship. Um, Welcome to those who are watching us online. And if you will stand with me, we will... um, We're gonna jump right in and love on our beautiful Jesus this morning. Whether you've had a good week or a bad week, um, He is the Lord over it all. And this morning, He is for us. He is fully for us. So let's pray together and then we're gonna worship. Heavenly Father, we come in the mighty name, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we are so grateful for your goodness and your kindness towards us, Lord. God, thank you that you have caused us to think about you, Lord, in a new way, Lord, that you're not the harsh, heavy-handed Father, Lord, that has been presented for, for so many generations, Lord, but you are the God who has called us to himself, Lord, that in Jesus you have restored us fully, Lord. You have saved us to the uttermost, Lord, that your arm is not short, but it is mighty to deliver this morning. God, we worship you and we honor you, we thank you, Lord, that you love to come and stamp your fingerprint on our hearts this morning. Lord, we long to know the Father, Jesus. Would you would you just reveal who he is this morning to us by the power of the Holy Spirit? Lord, we worship you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
1: Worthy of every song. Now
0: Since this morning of what the Lord has for us. Colossians 2.15 says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This morning, I don't know what is in front of you and what you are facing, but I do know this, Jesus has disarmed every principality and power and authority that tries to come against you. He disarmed it. If you have a gun and you take out all the bullets, it has been disarmed, it cannot harm you. I know you might can whack someone on the head with it, but it's not, you know, it's not being used for that intended purpose to kill you. And so this morning, as we sing this song, what is it that is the rival that's standing against you in your life, whether it be mindsets, what you're thinking, um, letting go of um, the wrong way you think about who God is for you. Letting go of the past mistakes because Jesus has already taken care of those. He's taken care of the ones that you did this morning on the way to church, yelling with your wife and your husband in the car. You know, he is going to do away. He has done away. He's already taken care of whatever you may mess up with in the future. He disarmed every power and authority that comes against you. Everyone. So this morning, there is no rival that stands against the name of Jesus. And if our God is for us, what can stand against you? And the answer to that is nothing. There is an authority that you carry because of the blood of Jesus. So this morning, will you make a declaration of what is coming against you? And say, you have been disarmed. Shame, you have been disarmed. Chaos, you have been disarmed. I declare peace. I declare healing. Whatever it is that needs to be disarmed, do it in this song this morning, okay? Because this is the God who's for you, who fights your battles for you. He's the one who fights battles on your behalf. He's the one who laughs at your enemies. You know why? Because he's already laughed at his own. So this morning, that's who this God is for you. Amen.
1: death could not hold you, the veil took on you, you. you silent
0: you jesus this morning that there is no rival against the most powerful name in all of the world there is no rival against the mighty name of jesus there is no rival against the mighty name of jesus this morning lord your name is exalted among us this morning we lift up the name of jesus because it is higher than any other name You are worthy, Jesus. You are crowned with majesty. You are crowned with glory. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, our beautiful king. Our beautiful king, we worship you. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain and is worthy to open up the scroll. Lord, thank you this morning, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. Yeah, Lord, we worship you. Yeah, the bride and the spirit say, come, Lord. The spirit and the bride say, come, Lord. Our hearts are hungry and longing for you, Jesus. The beautiful lover of our soul, Lord, we worship you. We honor you this morning. Jesus, who has disarmed every authority, has disarmed every principality and power that would come against us. Thank you, Jesus, for your victory on the cross, Lord. It is through your victory on the cross, Lord. There is no one who stands against you, Lord. No one, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, this morning. Thank you that we have the God of all creation who loves us. The God of all creation who is for this. And Lord, that He, you have expressed and shown yourself as a loving father over your people, Lord. Thank you over us, Lord. You are a loving Father that draws us near. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that there is nothing that stands between us and you. Lord, nothing, nothing stands between us and you. There is no separation now because of the blood of Jesus. There is no separation because of Christ Jesus. Lord, we worship you. Thank you for restoring us to all things, restoring us to every goodness of the Father's heart, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord, it is your great name that we pray. And we thank you, Jesus. That, Lord, thank you that the Holy Spirit is this beautiful seal upon us and in us, Lord. That we belong to you. We are yours. We are your beloved. Lord, that sense of belonging and family and knowing, Lord, that is in our very core and our being, God, stamps us with your love, Lord, that you belong to me. You belong to family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Yeah, bless your name, Lord, bless your name, bless your name.
2: So th- this morning, um, you know, as as Kim was praying, it just felt like um, there's, there's an action step for, for us as a body this morning. Um and what that, that could look like. And it's just literally the name we, we talked about, the name of Jesus being a powerful name, uh, a, a wonderful name, and just how much power the name of Jesus actually has. So what, whatever you're going through uh, this morning, you know, just simply speaking that name has power. Jesus, I, I speak your name over my, my family. I speak your name over my marriage, over my finances, my health. Whatever the situation is this morning, just just take a take a minute we're gonna continue playing. Just where are you at? Jesus, I give this to you. I speak your name. I speak your name over my family. I speak your name over my business. Over over my relationships. Over over all my my problems, God. I lay them before you. In your powerful name. I speak that over that. That's Jesus.
3: not in it alone so will you join with me in this action step too when I when I call out something will you join me and proclaim proclaim that name You know who I'm talking about over our marriages Jesus over our marriages Jesus over our families Jesus over our jobs, Jesus over our health, Jesus over our finances, Jesus over every person you see, Jesus over every person we don't see here right now, Jesus over the dreams and visions he has given you, Jesus over this world, eternity that he has created for all and he has called all to with a loving heart jesus there is no rival there is no equal the enemy of us is not equal he wants us to believe it but the lion and the lamb has done it he sits down and he's calm because he knows it is finished It is finished because of Jesus any lies any doubts all we have to do is take the first step and say Jesus you can stop right now because Jesus yeah this is going on but Jesus period he put the period I didn't put it thank goodness He did. He said, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. We praise you for the name of Jesus. It is done. It is finished. There is no rival. There is no equal. You have settled the facts. You have our past, present, and our future in your hand. It is finished, and it is good, and we love you. We love you for it, right in the middle of it. We love you. It is finished. Time is not a constraint to you. You know what is here and you know what is coming, and you still say, It is finished. The lamb and the lion don't have to stand up and go to battle. He's already done the battle. He said, it's all right. You can sit down. I got it. Jesus has it all. That action step together is powerful. And sometimes we need each other to say, remember all that, but Jesus. Grace and power are intertwined. Jesus.
0: Amen, amen, amen. This morning um, during our prayer time, um, just by the way, all of you guys are invited to prayer time at 915. So it's not a special club. It's an all-of-us-inclusive club. So we all get to be part of prayer at 915. But this morning during our time of prayer, there was just a sense of the faithfulness of the Lord and to remember, you know, how the great things that he's done for us and what he's built into our lives and how he's been faithful in the past and, like, take these stones and let's make a memorial Know um, of what he's doing and who he's been for us in our lives, but then also who our God is for us going into our future. And we will build more memorial stones. Y'all hear me? We will build more memorial stones of the Lord's faithfulness and his goodness in our lives. So, amen. Amen. What a beautiful time this morning. Aren't y'all glad that Jesus just loves us, but he actually. Um, shows us and tells us and communicates to us his great love for us. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for that. It encourages me. I walk away. I feel refreshed. And um, for those of you, hopefully this morning, if you came in with a heavy burden, that burden has been lifted and you feel lighter. And um, that's the heart of the Lord for you um, because he cares for you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask, as we kind of like do a little bit of transition here, I'm going to ask the Kurahara family to come forward and the elders um, this morning as they are all coming up. Um, That's fine. Um, Just as we come forward this morning, one of the things that we love is how the Lord is so intentional about leading us as his children and giving us directions for our lives. And so um, this morning we are praying over the Kurahara family uh, specifically because um, over the last couple of months there have been series of events that have taken place that are really, really good. And so um, we have looked at these last couple of months of how God has given them direction. They've sought the Lord. They've prayed. They've heard the Lord in some direction for their life. And as much as it saddens us deeply, we also rejoice with them sending them because um, they are going to be moving to Mobile. And so um, I know some of you, this might be the first time that you've heard it, but we have been walking with them as an eldership and deacon team over the last couple of months of what this transition looks like for them as a family. Um, So much peace for them. Um, the Lord answering, providing jobs. Kathleen is going into a, um, a position where she's actually going to be making double what she was making here. Um, she is originally from the Mobile area, has um, connections with very deep, close relationships that Totsky has been overwhelmingly welcomed into that circle of friendship of family. And, um, also Totsky was, um, provided with a job as well. And so we just see how the Lord has gone before them in every way. And so for us as a family, we want to send them with an incredible blessing. And, um, and also, they're taking who they are. They're taking what's been deposited into them, and they are taking that substance, and they are going into a new geographical area. And that is something that will minister through them where they will now be living. And so, we love the Kurahara family. It is with uh, it is with tears and with joy. I love how Paul said that um, he wept often whenever he sent those that he loved into new areas and into um, planting new churches. And um, we love them deeply, deeply from the heart. We honor them today for their faithfulness to this house. We honor them, you know, because they've been generous with every area of their life, um, giving financially, giving of their time and their effort and their energy and loving this family well. They've prayed for this family. We've seen healings through their lives. And so we honor them deeply today. We honor the testimony of the Lord, of who he's been for them. So this is one of those milestones today today. Of like, what has DCF been for them? And then we know that we're sending them into a future that God has gone before them. So will you extend your hands with me this morning? And we're just going to pray for them. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the Kurahara family. Lord, I thank you for family. Lord, I thank you that they are a part of us for all of eternity, Lord. And God, we bless them, Lord. We thank you that you are the God who goes ahead of them in this venture into the new day and the new season that you have for them, Lord. God, we bless them with every provision that is needed there um, as they go into Mobile, Lord, that they would find their community of people, that they would find their new um, spiritual family, Lord, where they both receive and they both give out into that, that um, area, Lord, and into that local body of believers, Lord. I thank you that this morning, over their lives, Lord, your word declares that we live in an ever-increasing kingdom, Lord. And so, God, would you increase the kingdom of God in them and through them in this new location and in this new season, Lord. We bless them, Lord. Thank you for their faithfulness to this house, Lord. It is who they are, Lord. And thank you for the faithfulness that they will be in their local church in Mobile, Lord. We honor them and we bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this morning, um, you are welcome to hug their necks. I'm going to just plug this for them. They are finishing up packing today. And tomorrow, and they are going to pretty much be packing up and leaving on Tuesday. So you want to get great hugs today for this family. Tell them you love them and then be able to help them if there's find out from Kathleen, like where you could help for the next couple of days.
4: Uh, We also have another uh, travel that's coming up. Karen is actually going to be going to Chiang Chiang Mai, Thailand. Um, she's leaving she this is uh, the last Sunday before she leaves and so the story is about five years ago she had a heart to go over uh, in Chiang Mai they do a conference with World Without Orphans and it's just a it's an amazing organization it's something in in the context of COVID there was trouble getting help to families all over the world as we all know and and this organization which is a, a strong Uh, godly biblical organization but is also connected to a lot of the secular organizations worldwide international that's helping and so she got to be a part of a support process she went over and, and was praying for people and helped supporting the conference about five years ago and so she's continued that relationship and then this year she's uh she's going over and she's been asked to speak in the conference And so she's going to be speaking in one of the breakout uh, sessions there. And so part of that for us was we're recognizing, you know, this was a personal, our family kind of thing in the beginning. And some of you guys know about it. We share it from time to time. But it wasn't, we didn't feel like it was anything more at the time. But we do now. And part of the reason why is we're recognizing it's not just a support role anymore. It's a place that God is giving Karen, of course, influence, but because she represents who we are, our values and our culture and, and the truths that we hold dear, she's going over in that capacity now and she's beginning to take everything that God's doing in us as a body into that organization and beginning to build into not just how we reach our city or our region, but literally um, beginning to practically reach the world. And it's a really big deal. So we're excited about it as an eldership team. We're excited about it as a church. She's going to be gone for a couple of Sundays. It's a long trip over, a long trip back, a lot of planning on both sides of it. So we want to pray for her. Um, first of all, that she would just be anointed when she speaks, that she's got a great message that she's pre- been preparing. She's very prophetic. So that, you know, in the preparation of the message, um, what she's aiming for is I don't want to lose that prophetic edge as I go in to speak into what God's called her to speak into. So we want to pray for that, pray for her safety, of course. But also pray, um, because we feel like this is a new season for us as the church, that this is just representative of what God's doing in all of us. There's a place where we've been in support roles in the past, but now he's beginning to move us into roles of influence, not just in our own families, and our local church, but also in our city and our region. So would you just again reach your hand towards Karen, and we're just going to pray for her. So Jesus, we just come. First of all, Lord, we thank you for a heart. Lord, that's willing to travel, willing to reach out and serve, Lord. Um, That's how this started, just a heart to serve. There was no no invitation to speak in the beginning. There was none of those things, Lord. She just had a heart to serve. And, Lord, we honor that in her. Lord, we honor her gifting, her calling, Lord. We honor the words that you're going to put in her heart and in her mouth, Lord. And we pray that they would bring massive transition in the ears and the hearts of the people that hear and, and perceive this, Lord, that she would feel your hand upon her in the entire trip, not just in the speaking, but in the serving and the loving and the praying over people in the context of this entire conference. And Lord, would you do something, Lord, as you do it in her, Lord, you're sending out her to go first, but Lord, would you begin to do that in us? Would you begin to awaken inside of us, Lord, a longing to see more impact, more transformation, especially in families, Lord. Would you do that as you're doing that in her? Lord, would you begin to cause that to happen in DCF as a whole, in our lives individually? And Lord, we trust you for every good testimony, every good word that comes out of this. Lord, bring this to the nations. Lord, that's what you're doing. You're bringing grace and truth and power, Lord, and transformation to the nations. And Lord, you're doing it through one of our own. And we just say, thank you, Lord, be with her in her travels. Uh, keep her heart and mind at peace, Lord. Just let her focus and bring forth every good thing from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> Amen. Amen, you guys. Thank you. If you're, if you're with us for the first time, you know, um, we like to call some of this stuff family business. And so you get to see what real life among this local body looks like. So um, if you are a guest with us, go to dcf.com, do your connection card, and we would love to hear your story and how your story fits into our story and what God's doing um, across the world and what he's doing with us really locally as well as um, globally. So um, thanks for being a part of that. Um, We are doing community group. So we're going to say that. I'm going to say that again. We are doing community group. So this particular semester, we are actually – bringing everyone together. It is going to be at our home on Friday nights, and you can get all the details on our website. It is food, so it's everyone bringing something to share. It is family connection. It will be worship nights. It will be community service. It is going to be fun and laughter and bouncy castles for kids sometimes. Okay, so I'm just throwing that out there. That's a little teaser, so. But what we know is that God is about building community and family, and Statistics show that when you live in isolation, it is not good. We have seen that proven through COVID, but even long before COVID came along, I think COVID just amplified it. But this is a time and a season for you to say, "This is my family. This is where I belong. I'm going to connect." And so, um, we would love to see you there, ladies. You can pull out your phones right now. I need you to register for Thrive, which is coming up this Friday. Um, Information is on the website where you can register as well, but. We are going to be digging into friendship. So, um, um, and if you need friends, you can look around. There's a room full of friends. So, we are here for one another and we want to build healthy, um, thriving friendships. So, that's here on uh, Friday night. We are thankful for generosity. Um, the generosity of this house is incredible. Um, when you give, you give into. Much more than, you know, like we said, it's like it's, it's, it's bigger than we can dream. I love that there's a song that is one of my favorites. It's going to be better than, better than I could have dreamed. So the future that God has for us together is better than what we can imagine. So we hope you'll get on board with that. Um, we are going to dismiss our kids. But as we do, I just want you to take a pause for a moment. This is family business as well. We are doing new check-in for our toddlers in our pre-K because we are starting a new, we're implementing some new classes today. And so we want to make sure that parents are gracious as you're checking in. Please do not go into the room. Just like in car line, when you pick your kids up, you got to wait in line to pick them up and drop them off. Well, that's what we're doing at our doors, okay? The door in the classroom is our first place of safety, and so um, thank you for being gracious and understanding that. We don't need you to go in and do the snack and do all that. Hand them off at the door. It's like you're just throwing the pass, okay? So um, our youth and kids are dismissed. We bless you guys, and um, we look forward to everything that the Lord's doing this morning. Amen. Dave's going to be right back with our message.
4: Good morning, everybody. If you will, go ahead and open your Bibles to... um... Somewhere in the New Testament, Luke chapter 16. <laughs> I try not to memorize it because as I get older, my memory is like, um, you know how you used to remember things? Well, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> we're going to piecemeal it together. So now I'm trusting the Lord for a, a good memory for as long as I live. So we have been doing a, a series, started a series last week um, called Kingdom Economics. And so we've been talking about how to invest the capital that the Lord has invested in us. And so we kind of opened the door a little bit a little bit last week about capitals. We're going to get into that a little bit today. We're also going to talk about how we can get those capitals, what God has given us to invest, how we can get them out of order, and what that can mean to our life, and uh, why we ought to try to get those in the correct order. So we're going to talk about several things today. Let me start with um, a statistic. Uh, some of you guys have probably seen this in the past. Maybe some of you haven't, but it's really interesting. And it's this, the medium, median lifetime earnings for the typical U.S. worker stands at $1.7 million. That's a, a research study done by Georgetown University. And so maybe, you, maybe in your lifetime, you won't make that much. Maybe in your lifetime, you'll actually make more. Um, but it doesn't matter. The point really isn't so much about how much um, you get to invest personally. The, the real question is, how will you invest it? Because here's the thing. You, you're not going to not invest that $1.7 million. <laughs> so whatever you get in your lifetime... You are going to invest it, whether you invest it well or you invest it poorly is the question. We talk about systems all the time at our church. What's really interesting about systems is um, we we talk about our uh, our, uh, different systems in the church, uh, financial system. You know, we've got our our, uh, leadership system. We've got all these different systems. And the question is never, do we have one of those systems? even if we say we don't, we have a system. It's, it's just usually bad. <laughs> so if, if you don't have a, a financial system in your, in your family, if you don't have a way to invest capital, it's not like you don't have a system. Your system is just really, really bad. And more than likely, someone's taking advantage of you. That's just kind of how that works. Because if you got money, somebody's going to try to see, uh, find a way for you to be parted with it. So let me start with a story. Um, my dad uh, grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. And so he had, I think he had a seventh grade education. Um, I, I, its It was really challenging back then for obvious reasons. And so um, my dad's an amazing guy in a million different ways, but there are just certain aspects of hanging around him and my Appalachian family that's just constantly entertaining. And I tell stories about it from time to time. But I, I got out of the military in 1991. I was in the Air Force. I'd been in for about six years. And I, and I got out, and I won't, I won't bore you with the details of how all that happened, but when I got out, um, I started working with my dad. And so I had this dream of helping my dad build his landscaping business. I had this heart to be a, a, a landscape architect. And so I, was study- I started some studies for that. And so I was moving into it. In the meantime, though, we were just doing the hard work of landscaping, digging holes and that kind of thing. But he had a piece of equipment, um, a skid steer loader. Um, he, he had a bobcat. Some of you guys know what that is. and So, so that made life a lot easier. Uh, but he, again, he still had that mindset of coming, even though he had his own business, he had that mindset of coming from the Appalachian Mountains and just kind of a poverty mindset, and so when I came back trying to work with him, I'd been a part of one of the largest organizations on the planet, you know, the United States military. Not that it, we did everything right, because we did it, I promise, uh, but we did have systems <laughs> and we had ways of doing things, right? And, and that was what I was used, used to for about six years. And so one day, my, my dad has a flat on his Bobcat, and I watched him go to his truck and get out these two. Uh, Car jacks and like some blocks and stuff, and so he comes out and it's muddy and everything. So he, he puts it down and he jacks one of them up and then he puts a block under it and then he jacks it up again and he puts another block in it and so it like takes him literally to change the tire. Took him like forty minutes. And so I was just doing the math in my head the whole time he was doing this, right? I was like, he makes it that time. He was making $35 an hour for his equipment and then, you know, his operator expense and then all that. And I was like, this is killing us in money, right? It's taking way too long. So... You know, being the genius that I was, I went to Sam's Club, bought a hydraulic jack. I mean, it's not a big jump in the system, but, you know, admittedly, it's a little better, right? So the next time he had a flat, I couldn't wait. I didn't even tell him. I just couldn't wait. I had it in my truck. He has a flat. I go and get this hydraulic jack out, and I, I come over. I throw a piece of plywood under it, you know, so it, it stands, and I start jacking the thing up. And, and he's coming back from his truck with his jacks. And so I, by the time he literally gets back, I've got the thing up off the ground, and I'm starting to take the tire out. And so it took me maybe 10 minutes if, you know, because it was the first time to change that tire. And so my thought was, my dad was going to be so excited about how much time we just saved. Because again, I was expecting him to do math, but then I thought, well, you know, he, he only went to the seventh grade, so how much math does he actually really have, right? And so he got mad at me and he said, you're going to, he goes, how much did you spend on that, Jack? And I said, $60. Uh, it was way cheaper back then. And he said, uh, that's too much money. We can't afford, we can't afford things like that. We, we just don't have, you know, we don't have the money to be buying that kind of equipment. <laughs> I said, okay. So I started to explain to him the math of how much money we just saved the first time we did that tire change. And with literally within three tire changes, not only will that jack have been paid for, but now every you know, time that we've saved now becomes profit in our business and we could buy even better equipment and build our systems up. And and my dad made me take that jack back. And that was the moment that I realized (laughs) that no matter how hard ministry might ever become, it was not gonna be as hard as trying to change my dad's mind about economics. It was just not going to happen so eventually I went off to Bible college and I started you know going down that road and er, that road and i became uh, I became an architect just a different kind of an architect right i'm a builder but I'm just in a, in a different kind of world for that but but the whole point behind that story is my dad's mindset no matter what we tried to do he just couldn't get past his old way of thinking about money and time and investing and and nothing we said or, or did could change his mind about it and so so often, you and I are exactly like that when it comes to the kingdom. We, we realize to some degree that God has invested in us. We have an inheritance through Christ, of course. We have gifts. We have ministry. We have passions. You know, I have the ability. I have the breath that I draw. I can go and I, can, I have a skill set. I have passions. All of these things come from the Lord, of course. And like, just like the $1.7 million that most people make in their lifetime, you also have a gift set and passions and all the inheritance that the Lord has put in you individually and then also as a body and how we invest that matters. And too often we've left that to chance. We said things like, well, you know, if the Lord wills, we'll do that. And there's truth in that, but so often what we do is we hide behind that stuff rather than allowing the Lord to come and bring transformation to our minds, make us more effective, make us more powerful. Because we have a dream as a a local church, not just to grow because we want more people so we can impress the other pastors we talk to about how many butts in seats we have, right? I could care less about that, and probably you could too. But we also know that there are broken, hurting people who need to hear the message of the cross, who need to hear the message of the gospel. We have a culture that needs transformation. It needs pushback against the crazy ideologies that are taking over family life and organizational life and all those things. So we know there's a need. And so often we don't think that I might be the answer to that need. And that's some of the stuff I want to talk about as we go into this series is how to invest the capital that the Lord has invested in you. So real quick, a re- recap. We talked about last week, what is, what is capital? In the short version, in especially in the, in the culture is wealth in the form of money or other assets. And that's the thing I want you to fo- focus on. It's not just money, but capital is what other asset of value you have that you can invest into something else. And so we all have those. So there's a great book um, called Oikonomics. It's a strange name, uh, but if you get a chance to look into it, it's by uh, Mike Breen and Ben Sternke. And they really go into great detail about how God uses these capitals in our lives and especially in our families so that we can be families on mission. In other words, we have a business that, that, that our father has brought us into as sons and daughters, right, to help run the family business. What does that look like and how we invest those capitals? So it's a great book to t- if you want to take a deeper dive. Um, but the passage I ask you to look into is Luke chapter 16. We talked in detail last week. This is the scriptural reference where these five capitals are brought out. So if you're interested in seeing how that, you know, where I got this from, this is where it comes from in the scripture. And so the parable is simple. We're just going to do a couple of scriptures in that parable. But the parable is simple. It starts out with two, two things, really, the parable and then the application of the parable. So the story starts with a wealthy man. He's calling his assist, assistant forward, and he's about to fire him. He's about to let him go because he's mismanaging the funds, right? And so then it, the story shifts now to the person who's about to be let go. He's a steward. He's managing his master's resources. And so the story, again, goes into him facing now... Um, imminent unemployment, and then he starts secretly helping his master's debtors take advantage of his master, right? So it's like, it's a really interesting story because it seems like it's a little underhanded. And sure enough, Jesus goes after that in telling the story, and he commends this, this uh, shrewd steward. <laughs> and some of the things he was doing completely ungodly, and he's pointing that out, and he uses it to, to make uh, some references. So look with me at uh, Luke 16, 8, and we'll kind of launch from there. So it says, it says, for the people of this world, so he tells the story and he says, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. So it's really interesting. He uses that word shrewd. And so, you know, so often we, in, in ministry, you see people taken advantage of. If you have a really strong mercy gift and compassionate gift in the kingdom, so often people will try to take advantage of you. So as we lead in the body of Christ, one of the things we do when we see people with a high mercy gift is we try to connect them in community and in team with people who don't necessarily have a high compassion or mercy gift. And what that does is it creates a tension where in the connection and relationship with other, other gifts, you don't get taken advantage of as much. And so I, we were joking last night with some friends, um, Karen and i don 't score very high when we take the gift assessment you know in the kingdom we don 't score very high on mercy. Karen scores higher than me, obviously and, uh, but 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 mine is like on a scale of one to fifteen. Karen might be a three or four seems seems low right i, I don 't even scale like I, i'm i 'm like, I'm like Z, can you score a zero in mercy?" Um, I I think I have a one. That's what I score in. So here's the thing about that. You're thinking, oh, great. My pastor doesn't have any mercy. No, no, no. I'm required to show mercy whether I have the gift of mercy or not. See how that works? And so that's powerful because, again, you might say, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you're, you're called to show leadership and walk in leadership whether you're gifted for it or not. All that means is mercy for me is harder than it might be for you. But leadership is easier for me than it might be for you. So it doesn't matter. We're still called to do these things. But what's helpful is knowing what your gifts are, knowing what some of these capitals are in your life so that you can be a wise, a shrewd manager of the capital and you don't get taken advantage of by the world, by, um, you know, uh, um, uh, trying to think of the right word, immature, broken, hurting Christians, right? Because that can happen in church world too. So it's a contrast and this is what he's going after. He's saying unbelievers are wiser in the things of this world than believers are in the things of the world to come. So it's not just they're wiser. It's not what he's saying. That's not true. Because he tells us to be wise as serpents, right? But as gentle as doves. So the world might not be gentle as doves. They might be wise as serpents, right? But the gentle part, they're gonna get wrong. But that's the call that we have. We don't lose the wisdom, but we gain the kindness and the goodness of God in how we use that wisdom to invest these capitals. But it's an interesting contrast because what he's saying is that believers are are better at the things of this world than you and I are at the things in the next world. So what does he mean by that? It's really interesting contrast. And really what he's going after comes out in the next verse. This is verse nine. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Did Jesus just tell us to buy our friends? Yes, he did but how we do that is way different than how the world does it. The contrast he's saying is, the world knows how to use capital. They get shrewd, but here's what they're doing. They're using it for selfish gain. And so the whole picture of this is the steward that's, that's doing, that he's commended for being shrewd, but not for misusing, not for misusing the master's wealth, right? Because it was, it was never his wealth in the first place. He was stewarding someone else's wealth. And he's saying to us, hey, the world's really good at certain things. You ought to also be good at those things, but don't be like them in the sense that they're only doing it for this world. You need to understand that all the capital that you have to invest is not to get you a bigger house, car, or, or whatever. That's, that's fine. It's, it's, you know, we say it all the time. We're fine with you having money as long as money doesn't have you, right? That's the difference. But to capture this concept of I've got to get better wiser, more shrewd in how, not just to live in this world, but how to take this world that we're in and use it for the next, right? So he's saying the wealth that you have in this world, it's not yours. God has given it to you. Every good thing you have has come down from the father of lights. What he's saying is, I want you to use that wealth, not for temporal things, but eternal, not for worldly minded things, not for your own personal success and gain, but to move the the temporal things that you've been gifted with into the things that are eternal. And so we talked about, we're going to get into it in just a second, about the wealth that God has given us and and the capital and what it looks like. But remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. Why? Because in an eternal context, the things that that can steal your wealth in this world, rust and and, and a, a robber coming and taking it, all of that changes the moment you take this season in your life, this temporal time, however many years you've been given, and using that to build into eternity. So I preached a series one time called The View from Eternity. And the whole idea behind it was, is because we're on this side of eternity, we, we act like we can't see that side. And what God is always calling us to do in the, in the spiritual realm is to capture the eternal perspective for where we are now because that is as sure, if not more sure, than where we are right now. This I heard a guy say it one time. He said, the kingdom is more real than my right hand. And he's like, I can see it, I can touch it. He goes, but I know something inside of me says the kingdom is even bigger than that, that, that I fit in the kingdom, but the kingdom doesn't fit in me. In other words, there's something bigger, there's a greater understanding. So he's going after that in this, in this passage. So again, Matthew 10, 39, it's really interesting in this context. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. So he's, he's saying to us, if you try to gain wealth and you try to gain income and you try to build your life in the temporal realm, he said, if you try to find your, your life that way in the world's way, you're going to lose it. But listen to the second part of that. He said, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And so this word life keeps coming up, life more abundantly. I just preached a series about that. What is this thing called life? It's not salvation. Salvation is just a part of eternal life, right? Salvation is, it, it, there's everlasting life, which means I'm gonna live forever, whether I live with Jesus or not, I am gonna live forever. Nobody is just you know, gonna cease to exist. That's a fantasy. And we all know that instinctively. We know we are eternal. Nobody can think about dying and wrap their head around it because it's not going, that part of it, yes, your physical body's gonna die, but we know the rest of us is not. And so Jesus is going after that. He's saying there's a context that you, if you're not aware of it and you don't live from this context, you're gonna be taken advantage of. You're going to lose. Everything that you build here is going to go away, right? You ever see somebody uh, like hauling a U-Haul behind the hearse on the way to the, you ever see that? Because it, (laughs) It's a meme, literally, because it's, it's just pointing out the fact that you're not taking anything with you. Another scripture says, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going out, I'm glad that they dress people in suits, right, or whatever nice clothes when they put them in the casket, but that suit's not going with them, right? Naked we came in, naked we're going out. So let me talk about the, the capitals, and I'm just going to be brief because if you want to go into detail, we're, we're going to get into each one of them later. But I've talked a lot about that before. But the, the, the list, according to the order God poured out in this particular passage, and last week we talked about that, um, is really important. If you get the order out of line, it's going to mess your life up. So here's, spiritual capital is the one we're trying to all, all get to. Jesus is saying, trade everything else for spiritual capital, right? It's the single most important thing. It's eternal. It's the one thing that you are going to take with you. So, uh, the way we define it is simply this how much spiritual equity we have to invest. What Jesus would go away to pray, he'd be with his father. He, he would, he would, he'd read the Bible, he, he'd memorize according to their tradition. By the time he was 13 years old, he'd memorize the first five books of the Bible. So, he knew. He knew the word of God. He was the word of God. We get all that, but he invested on a regular basis into his relationship with his father, into prayer, into fasting, into seeking God, and he would minister power, right? He would minister with wisdom and power because that's the currency of what we call spiritual capital. And then relational, how much relationship with others we have to invest. And that depends on you. If you, are, um, if you are an extrovert, you tend to be able to build capital in relationship a little bit easier, but not really. Because if, you don't, if you're not aware of how much of an extrovert you are, you can actually do yourself an injustice and turn people off rather than bring them in, right? So, so, so don't think, oh, I'm an introvert, so I, don't, I didn't get as much capital. Yes, you did. It just might be harder for you, right? So just keep that in mind. But uh, relational capital, the, the currency is friends and family, Right, and really, it's it's family because that's what friends ought to what they ought to look like in the kingdom. So Jesus invested three years of his life with twelve guys. Right, one of them went bad, (laughs) but he invested twelve years. I mean, three years of his life with twelve men. Now you go read that. Even that, he invested even more capital into a few. So you see the you see the the three. You see the twelve. You see the 120 that was there at the book of Acts. You see the multitudes. And so you see Jesus investing in relational capital in different ways. And you do that too, whether you realize it or not. Or you don't invest in capital. But you have to to understand that you are either going to invest in it or, or, or you don't. And to the degree that you have relational capital changes how you're able to live your life. Everything in the kingdom. This is true of everything in, in the business world. You're trying to make money, but you still have to have relational capital because no business happens outside of relationship. No kingdom work happens outside of relationship. So why we're emphasizing community group, right? Plug in, plug in. It's like, well, I'm uncomfortable. Well, get over it, <laughs> right? I'm uncomfortable doing a lot of things Jesus asked me to do. It turns out He really didn't care sometimes about my comfort. Why? Because what's on the other side of that comfort is way more valuable than your comfort, right? So this is relational capital, physical capital. Again, going down the list, how much time and energy we have to invest. It's currency is hours and health. So your physical capital is what you're bringing to the table. You invested physical capital this morning by showing up. By coming here and being a part of this, you invested physical capital. So you're, in, in some ways, you are investing the physical capital by being here into spiritual capital. You're saying, I'm going to transfer this time and energy, right? This time that I'm spending here this morning and receive some insight, connect relationally with other believers. Um, I'm going to see God work through these capitals. And as I invest in each one, that it keeps compounding. We're going to get that in just a second. So physical capital is, is the time and energy that you have, uh, currency is hours, and health. Intellectual capital is how much creativity, ideas, and knowledge we have to invest. And its currency is concepts and ideas. You see, you see that in the, in the uh, story of the shrewd manager? He says, I know what I'll do. I'm too, He goes, I'm too weak and sissified to work, right? I can't do that. So I, I know I don't have a lot of physical capital, but I can invest some of this this other capital into these relationships. So I have a place for me when my, when my master fires me, right? So you see him in, in, this idea was, I know what I'll do was an intellectual capacity. It was an intellectual capital that he was investing in this situation, the circumstances of his life. And we do that all the time. Um, when you get, when you get ready to go to dinner, like we always do this on Sunday morning, I have a trick that I use, like we'll say, hey, you know, let's go grab something for lunch, because a lot of us kind of, you know, put our money aside for the week, because we know we want to, connect on a Sunday morning, have lunch with, with other people. And so it's like, oh, let's go somewhere to eat. And we can decide the fate of eternity on a Sunday morning. But for whatever reason, we can't figure out where to go eat after the service. You ever notice that? So I have a trick and I just I just say, let's go to McDonald's. And it is amazing once that idea comes up, how many other awesome creative ideas come up to make sure we don't do that one, right? But that's, a, that's, cre- that's a, an intellectual thing. I figured that out. I'm like, I know how we can get past the silliness of not figuring out where to eat, right? So that's intellectual, and it obviously it operates on a much bigger scale than that. And then the last one, and in the in the least important capital of all, is financial capital. And that one we're all familiar with because we deal with it, and it's the treasure. It's not just money. It can be other things of value that we can trade for other capital, but the currency is money. But but I, it's really interesting. I forget who, who it was. I think it was Mark Twain. I, I saw this recently. He said... He said, it's wisdom to know that we pay for things with money, but we're not really paying for it with money. We're paying for it with time, right? Because you you get paid by the hour or you're on a salary, right? And so the idea in in, uh, business world is at some point you want to build not just, you know, I'm trading my time for money, but I'm trading my intellect and my ideas. And so then you begin to build systems, Right? And you begin to build relationships. And so now you're not trading your time so much for money. You still are, but your time is getting more and more and more and more valuable because you're not trading it for an, for an hourly wage. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, people go through their whole lives, they're quite happy to do that, and they're very comfortable. Still, that's part of the $1.7 million that people have in their life to spend in a lifetime. So you're, tra- you're always trading. But the, the important thing to remember is there's really just two kind of main mistakes we make with this last one. When it comes to money, and it's this: that money means everything, right? that it's all about money. that's the, one of the biggest mistakes we, we make. Can you guess the second one? Money means nothing. It doesn't matter. And both of those are a lie. And all Jesus is saying when he's teaching this, this helping us understand the capitals, is finance is not evil. What makes, what makes an inanimate object evil is an animate object. <laughs> right? So, so I have a hammer, I can build you a house with it or hit you in the head with it. I mean, one of those is good, one of those is bad. I hope you know which one is which, right? But the tool's not the problem. Does that make sense, right? And we know that. And so, so this is what Jesus is saying about finance. Finance is part of what is involved in this world. And I made sure that this is how, there's, there's an exchange happening always. You see this at the cross you want to see eternity in this perspective, you see a capital exchange at the cross that is hard to wrap your head around. The more you understand it, the greater that exchange um, co- becomes to you. And so it's really important to under- understand that. So I, now I want to just kind of shift gears a little bit, but we're talking about finance because this is the one that we get the most. And I just want to talk about like uh, compound interest as, as a, both a positive and a negative. So it's a simple definition. It's the interest you earn from the original amount, or they call it principle, of an investment plus any interest you've already made through that investment. Most of you guys are pretty savvy, so you know this. Benjamin Franklin explained it best when he said, money makes money, and the money that money makes, makes money. <laughs> it's a great way to think about it, right? So, so that works, of course, in compound interest. Most of us find this out the hard way. Nobody talked to me. My dad never had a conversation with me on that job site about compound interest. Never. My father and I have never had a conversation about compound interest, right? But I wish we had. So I, get, I got into credit card debt, probably like most of you guys. Some of you guys are in it right now. And, and so here's how I, f- I found out the hard way. Like, it, this is the, another statistic. The average, current average APR for all new card offers is 21.11%. In the Bible, they call that usury. <laughs> but in America, it's legal, right? And it's also part of the culture that why wouldn't you have a credit card? Why wouldn't you buy things that you don't need you know, with money you don't have? I mean, what's wrong with that problem? But they're selling it to us left and right. So here's just a, a simple example, and I apologize to Jane. We have a Jane in our church. But Jane buys a $2,000 computer on her credit card at 20% interest, which is average. Each month, she pays the minimum, $60. Bucks. Um, at that level of repayment, it takes Jane 203 weeks to pay off her computer And by the time she's done, she's added an extra $814 to to the $2,000. So she's paid almost half again what she paid for the computer that has depreciated every single year. And by the time she gets it paid off, it's not worth the $2,500 or $2,800 that she's invested in. Now, what's it worth? It's a paperweight, right? So maybe not the best way to invest money. I mean, we have to buy computers, I get it. But buying them on credit is just a really, really bad idea. So flipping that around, you can see how compound interest, if you can get it to work for you instead of working against you, how much better you are in that scenario, right? So I'm going to give you a picture of that. So uh, a story about Jack and Blake. Um, this comes straight from Dave Ramsey, the you know, holy venerated saint of Christian finance. Some of you guys know who he is. So, uh, and it's a great example, but it's, you know, the numbers are rounded off. So don't take it like as a perfect real world example, but here's the idea. So you can see kind of the graph, but Jack starts investing. So the picture is Jack invests $2,400 a year, right? And he starts when he's 21 and he ends when it's, when he's 30. So he invests $2,400 a year from the time he's 21 to the time he's 30. And then he stops investing and he never touches it. That never touching it part, really important, right? So nine years go by, right? Um, and then Blake, Blake catches, Blake's like, oh man, I, sh- I-, I met Jack at the coffee house and he was telling me about how he's investing. That's probably a good idea, I should do that. So now Blake says, I'm gonna start investing $2,400, but he starts at 30. So now he invests over his lifetime, $2,400 a year until he's 68, okay? <laughs> so when he's done, Um, Jack has invested $21,600 total in the nine years that he's been investing and his return when he turns age 68 he hasn't touched it now he's ready I'm like I'm gonna take my money out and go have a good time retire he has two million three hundred and forty nine thousand dollars and some change right what about Blake Blake's hardcore man He's been investing way longer than, you know, nine years like the, the other guy. He's been investing now for 38 years at $2,400. He's invested a total of $91,200. You'd think his return would be much, much greater, wouldn't you? But here's what he gained. $1,377,000 and some change. So why is, why is that? I mean, this is so important. If I wish I could have got this when I was young. But you see the difference is starting early. Why? Because that's the way compound interest works. It's you, whatever you put in, now they pay interest on that the next year and now it's a little bit more and the interest now comes on that total and then you do that every year and he did it for nine years and just in nine years, compound interest by the time he was 68 years old doubled his income and he never invested another dime after the age 30. Now I have a problem with that I'm like, why did you stop investing when you were 30, Jack? Because obviously, what would have happened if he would have continued to invest $2,400 a year for the rest of his life? Do you think he could be a generous Christian? Right? Well, Blake needs to be generous too. He he just might not (laughs) have as much capacity. This is the power of compound interest. And here's why this is so important. I, I quoted Warren Buffett last week. Uh, another venerated saint, (laughs) Uh, but never, he said this, never invest in a business you don't understand. Here's the challenge, I think, with most of us as believers. We don't understand the kingdom. We go to church. We do all kinds of things. We read books, but if we're honest, we don't study, as the Bible says, to show yourself approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. He's not saying study is gonna save you. People read into that because they haven't studied the Bible, right? It's not grace at all. That's not the new covenant. But study does something. Understanding the way God works, the way he meant for you to work. The Bible says that that when you get married, that you're supposed to dwell with your wife with understanding. Now, I've been doing that for over 30 years and it is not, it's easy for her to understand me. (laughs) But understanding my wife is a lifelong pursuit. Like she invested nine years and she's multimillionaire. I'm gonna invest the rest of my life and I'm never gonna catch up with her ability to understand me, which is why God speaks to the husband. (laughs) Make sure you dwell with your wife with understanding. Here's what's fascinating. God didn't say try to understand women. He's like, that's impossible. I mean, like I made them. I know you're never gonna understand women, but a lifetime you can understand one right? That's a side note for all you guys who are married. But here's why that's so, it's so powerful. If you don't invest in your marriage, right, will you have as successful, will you have what God intended for you to have in marriage? And the answer is 100% no. If you don't invest in your children, if you don't invest in relationships, if you don't invest in the things God says are better, because again, that's a trust issue. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Lord, your ways are not my ways. And God's like, I, I've, I've said that. Like numerous times in the Bible, I've said, my, your ways, they're not like mine. My ways are higher than your ways. What your problem is, is not trying to understand my ways. You can understand a lot of that in this lifetime. It's trusting them. When you know he said it, do you trust it? And so that's something we're going to go into. So anyway, compound interest, interest works both ways. But Here's the kicker. It works in more than one capital, right? So it doesn't just work with money. It works in um, intellectual capital. Ideas create other ideas that create bigger ideas and ideas explode. In relational capital, you get to, together with relationships with other people who have an intellectual capital and you put five people in a room and try to come up with ideas you think you'll come up with more and better ideas than if you're by yourself, right? We all know this is true. So here's, here's how this looks. We get it out of order because like Warren Buffett said, you should never invest in a, in a business you don't understand, which means the practical aspect of that is because we don't understand the kingdom, we often don't invest in the things that God is challenging us to invest in. And I wanna challenge you. Part of that is I'm helping to equip you guys as saints for the work God's called to your ministry. And you can, we can make excuses all day long. We can go, oh, I was handed a bad set of cards. It's like, that's fine. But it's a whole deck. You got some low cards and you got some high cards. Play the high cards. Don't worry about the low cards, right? Everybody gets that because we live in a broken world. But God is calling us to invest. He, and, and he goes into this when, he talk, when we talk about, which we're gonna get into a little bit deeper. But when he talks about um, giving these, these different men different levels of, of, of the ability to invest, so different capacities, all of them were investing at their level of capacity and they all got a great return on it except one guy who goes in and he buries his, his money and he says, this is what he says. It's a fascinating statement. He says, uh, when, when the master comes back and challenges him, he said, I knew you were a hard man. And so part of that parable is not just about the finances and investing the capitals, all that's true. Part of it was he completely misunderstood who the master was, Right? First of all, that he'd given him the cap. it was it was the master's capital, not his. What do you care if you lose it? Like if I risk the master's capital, not mine, right? I mean, I have a vested interest. Don't get me wrong, but it's not my money. Like, it, have you noticed how easy it is to spend other people's money? It is so easy, right? And how much more difficult it is to spend your your own, especially when it's in cash. You ever know? Dave Ramsey is that's another thing he talks about too. So. Here's here's how we get it out of order. So let me just make this statement. The answer to misuse, and this is helpful in every arena, the answer to misuse isn't no use. In other words, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The answer to misuse isn't no use, it's proper use. And for some of us, we've been hurt. We've been, you know, we've had some bad experiences, whether it's in church world or relationship or intellectual, you know, any, any of those arenas. And because of that, we swung the pendulum hard the other direction and said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I know God's a hard man. He's, you know, he's, he's put me in these circumstances. I'm just not going to play the game. You're playing the game. That's what we, we, we keep messing this up is, like me saying I'm not going to be a part of it doesn't actually mean I'm not going to be a part of it right? I'm still going to be a part of it. It's just not going to go well. The better thing is to go, hey man, I've made some mistakes. I maybe don't understand this, but I'm going to learn, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to invest the capital that God has in me. And then my expectation is as I get to know God, he's a good God, and his investment in me is good gifts that he's already poured into me. And the more I pour those into the the capitals the way he designed them to be poured into, the greater my inheritance grows both here and there, right? Right? The Bible says that, that, that there's going to be rewards for the believer. We haven't gotten into that in a big way in a, in a long time at DCF. But there's truth to that. And people say, well, that's not the reason to do it. The reason to do it is because is you love Jesus. 100% agree. But I'm also going to get a big house, <laughs> right? So is that wrong? Like, is, is it wrong to, because as a steward, is it wrong to say, Lord, you know, I have a nice home and a nice vehicle. And I have a nice life. I'm comfortable. And, and, you know, I should feel guilty and ashamed because I'm living that life. Well, if, you are, if you're only serving yourself with it, then yeah. But no steward should feel ashamed living in the master's wealthy home. Does that make sense? I'm not, it's not a prosperity gospel. It's just recognizing if I do God's thing God's way, I actually get his result. And it's powerful, not just for me and my family, but it turns into God is a God of more than enough. So that means everything that he pours into me begins to be in abundance and flows over into every relationship and every arena that I touch. And that was his design from the, from the get-go. So let's just look at how we get these things out of order. So I'm just going to put a couple of pictures up here of the right way. I'm going to keep that as a reference point, the kingdom way, and then the wrong way. So the first one is, what does it look like? What does capital, these five capitals, look like in the business world? And so they, in, in the business world, the tendency is to switch. The spirituals on the bottom now, and the finance is on the top. In the kingdom, it's opposite, right? So, so just kind of how it normally goes, and again, it's not 100%, but financial, intellectual. So financial is the goal. I want to make money. Intellect is what I get. I go to school, not for the sake of going to school. I don't care about that. I want to get a better degree. I want to get an MBA so I can make more money. That's kind of how they think about intellectual capital. And then relational capital is they know they have to have relationship to do business. Uh, if financial capital is above relationship capital, do you think they will spend their relationships to gain money? Do you think they're willing to sell you out <laughs> if they can get a profit? The answer is 100% yes, right? So then there's physical because it's okay to work 70-hour work weeks as long as you're making money. That greed is the one thing in the in in the western world that we all that's the one sin everybody says, "Yes, we can do that. And it's totally okay. Make a bunch of money, have a really nice house, nice car. The other one is caffeine. I don't want to get into that, but that's the, that's the drug of choice as Christians. We don't even talk about that. But you understand what I'm saying? We look at this and go, okay, physical capital, it's okay to give your life away to make money. But is it, right? Is it? So you see these guys at the top of their business game, and how many marriages have they had, right? Do they know their kids? Do their kids know them? What are the kids like, right? See what I'm talking about, and we, and every one of us, pictures somebody when we see that. But that is also us in a, a lesser scale if we subscribe to how these capitals are dealt out. So here's an example again. Um, it's acceptable sacrifice your health to gain all this. So that's the physical capital too. That you, you know, you're so stressed out that you have a heart attack at 50 something, and you're like, what happened? It's like that. I don't understand what. Yes, you do. You know exactly why that happened, right? So here's another one. This is academia. This is this one's interesting. This is a this is a, a big challenge in our world today because, you know, our universities are a mess right now, but nobody wants to admit that that's true. But in this, in this s- scheme of things in academia, intellectual capital is the top. So if, if you get a PhD, I have friends who have PhDs and some friends who are going after their PhD, it is a lot of work, like not a little bit of work. It's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy, crazy, crazy hard work, Right. But, but if you gain a PhD, why are you doing it? What's the motivation behind getting that high in academia? And, and part of the answer is because intellect is the highest form of capital the, the ideas in the exchange of ideas in university that's the biggest thing because again their compound interest on ideas is every idea way well, it's supposed to be every idea that's crea- that's that's uh, realized then that becomes the 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 stepping stone or the launching pad for the generation that comes behind in other words whatever you do your kids should never have to experience the challenges you had right they can launch from your shoulders and, and keep that going generationally. And that's a picture here. So here's an example. Again, you'll spend vast amounts of money to get a PhD, but it's seen as a worthy investment because intellectual capital is valued more highly than any others. But look at it. Intellectual financial capital, why is that one so high? It gets you intellectual capital, right? You're paying, you're using money to pay for that. Relational is part of it. Physical, why is spiritual at the bottom? Because really smart people can be the dumbest people you've ever met. And part of that is they don't believe Jesus has anything to say about life. So they just buy whatever lie has been told them in the intellectual world about the spiritual kingdom so it has zero value. Guess what happens with that? At the end of their life, whatever they poured themselves into, does it really satisfy the needs in their soul? And the answer is no. So we get it, right? What about family? So let's, let's kind of, as we get ready to wrap this up, what, Let's put this in the world that we all live in, right? Because we can have some connection to this. So what what capital-driven culture have you created in your family? And here's the thing to remember. Whether you meant to or not, you've done it, right? And so some of this is, maybe there's some things as we finish this message out, that the Lord's going to say, you know, these are some things you need to undo. You need to go back and repair this. Go back and, and rebuild appropriately if you've been building inappropriately. So what does it look like if your family has an, acad- an academic achievement culture? You will stress grades higher than anything else. And some of you guys came up with that. Statistically, Asians in America score higher on everything, right? And, and, and it's not because Asians are smarter, although most Asians I've met are smarter than me, but I, I have to work that out in my own personal life. <laughs> but, but statistically, it's because the culture, the Asian culture as a whole stresses academia in, the younger, in their younger years. It's the same thing when you, when you test Americans against some other aspects of the world. It's not that other people in the world are smarter than Americans or Americans are smarter than them. That's not the case. It all comes down to what's the culture that drives it. And that's how we fall in that list, right? So that's an example. Um, you have to be successful in school. And because of that, because of that, statistically, Asians make more money as a whole than any other racial group, for lack of a better term, or cultural group in in America. What about family culture that values athletic opportunity? Who comes to mind (laughs) when we talk about that? Like, I mean, for me, um, it was a famous golfer, and I still have pictures of him at like three or four years old with his dad out there going, hit harder. I'm like, oh God, that poor kid, right? Now, did the kid grow up and be the greatest golfer that ever lived? Sure. How many marriages has he had, right? He's one of the wealthiest men you'll ever, ever come across. How's that working out for him, right? And again, I'm not picking on the guy. What I'm saying is that that culture drove something that was, and, and, and there, there's accomplishment there. So we can't belittle that. That's, it's helpful. We're, we're not trying to belittle the, the accomplishment. What we're saying is what would it look like to trade those kind of capitals. Um, there's a story um, of, of a guy, this is back in the, um, I think it was in the 30s or 40s. Anyway, he was, it, the, the, the there's a movie made about it, Chariots of Fire, some of you guys remember, but it was Olympian. He, he was an Olympian. His mom and dad were missionaries, and he was training to become a missionary, and he was actually running in the, the, the school that he was in with one of the other great um, uh, runners of his day. And so he, these these guys were at the top of their game. One of them was not a Christian. Of course, he was. And so they come to the Olympics one day, and his passion, his spiritual capital, he wasn't willing to waste it, right? He was gonna invest it. And so they had him running on Sunday. And so for whatever reason, he felt that that was too, too important of a truth in his own personal life to actually do that because for him, Sunday was a, was the Sabbath day, and he couldn't violate it. And so they said, we need you to run on Sunday. And he said, I won't do it. And so they brought him before the Olympic Council, and it was King, some of the most influential people in the world were sitting there, and they said, why won't you run on Sunday? Guess what he did? He shared the gospel with them, and it blew their minds. They're like, and, and they looked at him and said, whatever we can do to fix this, because what are, we don't, I'm not sure I agree with what you believe about Jesus, but I see something in you that we will not belittle that. And so they actually, the other guy, they switched and he ran the other guy's race and he ran, and they both won gold. And so the point behind this so often is the Lord is like, if you will do it my way, it will it risk you losing something out? 100%. Absolutely. If you have, if you have boundaries in your life, you, you are going to lose people in your life. You're going to lose friendships in your life, but you're going to have healthy friendships. The friendships you lose, if you have healthy boundaries, are not going to be healthy friendships. Let's be honest. And that's not a bad thing, right? We'd love to keep them all. So these stories about how to exchange your capital as a family, they matter. If physical, if you see that your son has the ability to maybe, you know, get a scholarship, that's wonderful. And there's nothing wrong with pouring into physical capital. It's just, do you have it in order enough to where you've done that? And you put that at the top of the heap when his relationship with God was the most single most important thing, not just for this life, but the life to come. So as I close, I just want to say this. This is the life of a disciple. It's about investing in all of the capitals, all of them, learning and growing in these, but investing in them in the proper order. And so we're trading temporal things for eternal things. Matthew 13 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up, then in his joy, and that's a beautiful phrase, In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Jesus is trying to help people understand the value of the kingdom is far better than the value of anything else you're gonna find in this world, right? But the difference is, this is eternal, this other is temporal. This temporal one is easy to see. This one is not so easy to see, which is why you have to lean into it. And he says, here's how you know, this is a clue that you've discovered it. He says, it's a joy to sacrifice a temporal thing for an eternal one, right? It becomes a joy. That's how you know that you have discovered. When you are willing to do something crazy for the kingdom that the world doesn't understand, and you're able to do it with joy, right? There's something powerful about that. So there's a story I shared, a, a, a quote last week from a guy named Jim Elliott, who was a missionary. And in 1956, a great story if you've never looked at it, these guys agreed to go and reach this unreached people group and what was interesting about this people group was they were incredibly violent, not just to the other tribes around them, but to, them, to themselves as, as well. And so they go into the Ecuador, so it's eastern Ecuador, and they eventually make contact from above through a small plane, connecting with, they drop gifts, and so it's a process. And then they finally say it's time to connect. They fly in, there's a big river there in eastern Ecuador, and there's a, like a sandbar, they land on it. it, becomes base camp. And go read the story, it's really interesting. Over a couple of days, they begin to make contact and then something happens. The first contact is with a guy who's, who's liking a girl. And there's another girl there who's supposed to be the, the, you know, the one who's chaperoning, right? And they're on their way back to the tribe when they meet up with a bunch of men. And one of them was related to the, guy, to the girl that this, this guy was interested in. And he freaked out because she, the chaperone wasn't with them. And his, he was calling him on it. It's a true story. Go read it. And he, and he makes up a story that these guys, these, these missionaries, took advantage of them. They were violent to them, and it incensed the other men in this tribe, and so they went to kill them. So this guy's lie to save face set some things in motion that cost them in their lives. And so the story goes, they go there, and, and they find them on the beach. Um, they, uh, they had some people come from the other side of the river, so the two of the missionaries wade out into the river to meet them, and then they— come upon them with their spears, and they eventually, you know, they speared them all to death. But here's what's really interesting about that moment. When, the, when they found Jim Elliot, he had a gun in his pocket. But they had talked together as a team about whether they would defend themselves, right? If it came to it, and they're trying to reach this tribe for Jesus, would they trade their life for the physical lives of these, these, this tribe because this tribe eternally didn't know Jesus? And they all agreed, if it comes to that, we will lay our lives down for them. And that's exactly what happened. Now, here's what's interesting. Within two years after that occurred, Jim Elliott's widow and Nate Saint, another guy who was there, his sister went back into that tribe, ended up living with them, and began to win them to Jesus. And several of the men who speared those missionaries became Christians and then became elders, and then whole generations of their tribe now, since the 50s, have become believers, and they're literally um, reaching the entire Ecuadorian jungle for Jesus. So Jim Elliott's famous phrase, he wrote it in a journal about eight years before he died, but his famous statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so I want to leave you with this. That picture of Jim Elliot was, I'm investing everything. He went to school. He learned. He started learning languages. He invested everything that he had into reaching this people group. And when it came down to it, he exchanged his life for their life. And this is what the Bible says about Jesus, because we have to wrap it up with this in Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, see that phrase again? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and it's seated at the right hand of the Father of God. Jesus traded everything for what he saw was the greatest value. You know what that was? You. How, how easy can it be now for us to go, wow, a God who would do this. How easy is it to say, Lord, whatever my mindset about the capitals were, I'm so willing to change that. I'm so willing to learn your way of doing things and learn this joy that you want to put inside of me, that it's not, even if it's a sacrifice, It's a sacrifice that I can do so willingly, it actually becomes a joy because I see what that exchange is going to bring. Amen? Care.
0: What a great message this morning on the capitals. Um, And we hope that whatever is out of alignment, that in this message, you begin to align it with what the spiritual capitals are. And um, just to clarify, David and I both know that the kingdom of God does live within us, and that realm is expanding. Um, If you heard that it's not within us, it is. It's just that it's so much bigger and broader. So um, just to clarify, Um, this morning we spent some time praying for you, praying for this time together, and we're going to have some words that are going to come up on the screen, some phrases. If any of those resonate with you, we would love to pray for you. Our ministry team is going to go ahead and come up front And um, the other thing, if anything in the message resonated with you and you'd like to have prayer about that, about what these capitals are and how you need to shift some things, we'd love to pray for you for that or anything else that you just need ministry for this morning. We are here um, just to pray with you and to agree with you. So we are so glad that you're with us today. And, and we hope that you have a good week, and we look forward to seeing you guys next Sunday. And get ready. Go to sign up at the on the website for the community group so you can get all the details and Ladies for Thrive this Friday. Um, thanks, y'all.